0: Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation Curemasters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberto's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 28th. I hope everyone had a nice long holiday weekend. This is the 21st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, we're going to be talking culinary schools and pastry with a carbs dealer. More about that in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will give my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off with my PR tip of the week. Okay, so today's tip is to be organized and find a system that works for you. Whether you use Word, keep a Google calendar, save your contacts on a database, utilize excel spreadsheets or take notes on your iphone or scratch pad make sure you are organized in a way that's efficient for you i know like myself you're busy and juggling many things so you need to keep on top of it all find what works for you and stick with it that's my tip today be organized all right i'm excited about my guest today he's someone who i'm sure is very organized It's Chef Jansen Chan. He is the Director of Pastry Operations at the International Culinary Center, otherwise known as ICC. Originally from Northern California, Jansen began baking at a very young age. After graduating from the University of California in Berkeley with a degree in architecture, he followed his true passion for baking by moving to Paris and graduating from Le Cordon Bleu with a Patisserie Diploma. After culinary school, Jansen went to San Francisco to continue his training in some of the the city's finest restaurants, including the Fifth Floor. He then accepted an invitation to work for Chef Alain Ducasse at the Essex House in New York City, as well as mixed restaurants in Las Vegas and NYC. Under the tutelage of Ducasse, Jansen came to master the craft of baking and pastry in fine dining he most recently worked as executive pastry chef at Oceana where for 5 years he indulged nyc diners with his sumptuous and visually arresting desserts and artisanal breads jansen joined the icc international culinary center as director of pastry arts in 2012 so welcome
2: hello thank Hi. you for having me
1: <laughs> well thanks for coming out here i'm i'm super excited to talk with you and and hear more about your background because it's interesting that so you went from architecture to baking so how did you when did you decide to make that move
2: well it's actually not that far-fetched going from architecture to baking um i always tell all, all my students this that in architecture you know obviously it's, it's it's a design industry but it's really a lot of organization the the architect is the middle man if you don't know much about construction right the architect comes up with the drawing but then he has to organize the engineers, the the client, the state, and they have to keep the vision alive. So the pastry chef is kind of the, the designer. He's creating a dessert, he or she that is creating a dessert, a showpiece, right. a wedding cake, and they're going to organize themselves and keep the vision. But they got to work with the client. They have to work with the conditions, whatever it's going to be. The cake's going to be delivered in this in a picnic during the summer, or you know they're going to uh, work, employers in a restaurant, and and. But they have to keep the vision alive and the creativity there and be kind of the artist. And so for me, there is a lot of similarities. Also, architecture tends to be a lot of steps in planning. Mm-hmm. So in pastry, it's the exact same thing. You can't just make a cake. You have to plan it out. Right. You know, you're going to bake the cake. You're going to make a filling. You're going to make a frosting. All these things are kind of things that are thought out Mm -hmm. and have a process, and you have to kind of follow that process. So it's kind of a way of thinking and a way of approaching your craft, and architecture school was perfect for that um, because it really trained me in a way that culinary school or just working in the industry could never have done. So it gives me kind of a more unique perspective.
1: Right, and I'm thinking with pastry, it is true that you really do have to lay out the the plan more than I think in savory culinary cooking where it's a little, I don't know, with pastry, it's all measuring. So I think even more it's tied together well,
2: with architecture. There's obviously a lot of chemistry and physics mm-hmm. and baking. Um, and one of the cool things about pastry and baking is a lot of times we're creating the product in whatever form we want. We're taking lots of different things, you know, a basic cake, flour, eggs, butter, sugar, And we're transforming it into anything that we want it to be. Because those four ingredients can go in so many directions. We can make cream puffs. We can make cakes. We can make cookies. And it can go in whatever form we want. So we have a lot of options. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. But if you don't plan, then you're just going to be disorganized and messy. And you'll never survive in the industry. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Yeah, it makes sense. So lucky you got to go to Paris. And what was that like?
2: Well, see, when I you know, back when I switched careers and I decided, you know, I was going to go and I've always loved baking. Right. So I I decided that architecture wasn't going to be the thing for me. Um, So I said, you know, I've always wanted to go to France and live there and learn French. And I love French pastries. You know, most pastries are French based and technique. So I figured uh, why not just go to France? So I kind of, at that point in my life, I was doing the, the, things that were making me happiest so that was going to France and living there and going to school why not I mean I was young and uh this is I actually had barely just started my career in this industry
1: how long was your culinary program how how long were you in Paris
2: it's almost a year long about nine and a half months um so and it's it's very French (laughs) very classically grounded in basic French principles uh which are great I mean to this day I remember most of my training in school that's that's a good sign.
1: <laughs> were, were the other students? Uh, was it a mix of of Americans and internationals, different
2: about cultures? Th- the school was about a third um, American and the majority international from all over, from South America, Asia. Uh, f- fewer Europeans because a lot of them went okay. more to state schools that um, would be covered by mm-hmm. you know by the by the country. Uh, but you know it, it was a huge mixed bag of. Of people, right? Um, but it was all classic French chefs, a lot of MOFs, um, people who were just gonna, who were really just on top of their game.
1: I'm sure, I'm sure it was a fabulous experience. So then you came back and you started working in restaurants first in San Francisco, and then you came to New York. So talk about some of those highlights and.
2: Yeah, well, after I went to school, I, I wanted to, you know, I, I felt like I knew so much technique, but I also. Being a little bit older at that point, because it was a career change, I also realized that there was still a lot for me to learn in terms of the industry, like understanding how it worked. Because culinary school, as much as we can prep you for it, you still need to work your way up the ladder. You need to understand, you earn your chops, kind of, you know. So um, my goal and my direction to myself was to just work in a kitchen, just to shut up and work, and then work for at least a year, and then just keep applying for better restaurants and better chefs. So every time I would finish a job, I would choose a better restaurant and a better chef, uh, in my eyes at least. No,
1: you chose very wisely (laughs) from from looking at your resume. It's (laughs) impressive.
2: And I worked at some really great restaurants, and I was really happy in San Francisco. Um, I think I was really fortunate to fall into the fifth floor, uh, which Laurent Gras had just taken over. And I didn't know much about him except that he was an exceptional Michelin-rated chef from Paris mm-hmm. at the time, actually from Decaux, and he had just finished there, and he was coming. Oh, actually, he was coming from New York. He did uh, Picot Alley, and um, when he opened it, he had just taken over the team, and he was just he. When I interviewed with him, he said, "I'm taking over and transforming the pastry department." It's like, "Do you want to be part of this?" And I was like, "Based just on you, I'll take it." Didn't know anything what he was going to do with the restaurant, what direction uh, he was going in, but because of his resume. They followed my met my criteria. And it was a great experience. It was a very intense year. Uh, there were a lot of changes. Um, and he brought in intensity that had, I had not seen before, um, working in other restaurants in San Francisco. And that was kind of the gateway for me to get into Ducasse because that intensity is definitely there working for him. And um, eventually work, getting into Ducasse and working at Mix and Essex House, I, I really thrived in this fine dining French experience and there's such a high level in the pastry department the expectations that it's it's pretty amazing and it's also hard to find. Um, you, you If you go to a three Michelin star restaurant in, in Europe particularly France you just there's such an elevation in in the food um, and their approach especially to pastry and that's something that's hard to replicate here because I think American palate isn't there in terms of or at least our expectations aren't there. So to have, like, such an amazing display of bread and, you know, a, 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 a trolley of desserts and fours, and, you know, the onslaught of these uh, chocolates and macaroons and, like, all these things that um, are such a pinnacle of, of technique, um, you just don't see it every day or very commonly right. in, in fine dining restaurants in New York even now. Um, but, you know, I was lucky. I was at a time where cost Was in America and having this three-star restaurant and being part of that. And you know, I did sugar sculptures, chocolate sculptures, these specialty order things, and things that most pastry cooks in America aren't required to do. I was forced to do, and it was amazing.
1: It sounds amazing. I'm just thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, it's so awesome.
2: It's one of the few things in life where if you can find a job where you're really excited mm-hmm. to go back to, and when that you just want to be at it's it's an amazing gift i'm not gonna lie it's it's i i remember my first job uh was working for colettos which is kind of a terracy restaurant in san francisco in san
1: Francisco, okay it was
2: a bakery and a restaurant and i remember it was my first job it was right before i went to culinary school and i was hourly and i used to say you know what i'll get off the clock but i'll stay another two hours because i don't mind it. i loved it i i wanted to see how the dessert came out. I wanted to see how the, something that was in the oven or, you know, I wanted to see service and there was just, I had such a hunger and such a joy being there that, you know, money was not that it wasn't important. It was definitely secondary to the enrichment and the experience, which I knew would pay off at the end.
1: Yeah. But that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to find the career that you love and then it doesn't seem like work. Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, you've done that. I, I don't know if every if you bad telling people like because if you don't do that then your life isn't as important but I feel, like feel it's a bad.
1: gift. Don't feel bad <laughs> because because I can tell just you're 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 smiling the whole time you're talking and you're just you love what you do and and that's you know shows why I think you've been so successful too because you're just you're happy doing it.
2: I guess so. Like I said, I think it's a gift. I think it's a, a gift that I don't take for granted and I work hard. And I still mm-hmm. work hard for it. I don't think anything comes for free I think you where you land right in life is because of your own determination and kind of your and your passion which you know they yeah feed I, off each other I agree
1: so then what led you to Oceana which is when I met you when you were at yes. Oceana
2: well I had a great first of all, I was at Oceana for like a little more than five years I had left to cost, and that was a tough decision Essex House had just closed and that was their three-star mission restaurant. Um, and they were going to open a door, which was going to be a little a step down from that. And at that point, it was I had spent almost three years with Ducasse and worked at three properties, and I felt it was time for me to be to be the pastry chef, which is a big and difficult decision, I think, when you want to be in charge, because that means you're you're really the person that's putting out the ideas, and it's going to be your name on the menu, it's going to be your ideas, kind of. And to me, I that was a big responsibility. You know, I didn't want to just be the pastry chef, and then kind of screw it up, yeah. <laughs> especially in New York City. Um, there's not a lot of second chances. So um, Oceana had just taken on a new chef, Ben Pollinger, at the time, and I interviewed with him and he did a tasting, and you know he took a chance on a, on a new kid. Um, but he also had a Ducasse background, and so he understood my uh, organization and my passion and my vision. So we gelled very quickly, and I think that's also really important that the chef and the pastry chef gel and think the same or at least have the same approach to food because if there isn't kind of a mutual respect, then I think that will reflect in the food and the dining experience as well as the environment in the kitchen, uh, which is just as important as the food we produce because that kind of love transfers and makes its way all the way to the plate in the dining room.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I certainly can vouch for the fact that I think you gelled even outside the kitchen because I... Which that's I always saw you guys together. I always. was his
2: second wife, <laughs> as his wife would say.
1: No, you you definitely got along well, and and both very likable chefs. So. And we're
2: still good yeah. friends today. Oh, we that's great. St- he still calls me up for pastry advice all the time.
1: <laughs> Even though you left him,
2: <laughs> I well, yes, I mean, but I mean, it was sad to not interact with him every day. But you know, I mean, we have a great friendship now, and have a huge amount of respect for him. Um, and, you know, that that's not, that's not gone and nor will it ever go away. Um, but, you know, Oceana was really lucky. We moved to the restaurants um, during my time there and we basically got to relaunch the restaurant. And that was a, right. a big opportunity for me because I was able to put a whole new menu out and kind of have a new, uh, a breath of fresh air. So I kind of had the original Oceana, which was a little bit more formal, it had a tasting menu. And then we went to the more. Uh, casual spot I should say not so modern. much casual but modern probably modern. yeah it's not that casual I don't know i <laughs> right in Rockefeller Center so
1: I never dined at the original but I've been to the the current one and yeah I would say it's it's chic it's modern it's it's beautiful
2: and they let me um, plan out the the kitchen the space the layout <laughs> I worked awesome. with the architect um, I with uh, chef Ben and I we we worked long hours with the kitchen architect to really make sure that our voices were heard Heard um, because you know we were the ones that were going to be in there right. for sixty hours a week. So a chef's dream. I-, I learned a lot, and I was able to really give my input. I still think it's one of the best pastry kitchens in New York City. It's the pastry part. I did. I'm not going to say. I mean, not, it was not <laughs> that big, but I did a great job. I thought of everything that a pastry chef would like, and and within my budget, I got everything that I needed. From little details, like where the lights are on the ceiling, you know, little things like they should be above the counter and not above the corridor, because when you're standing all day, you're casting a shadow on yourself. But from an architect's perspective, you always like the corridor because that's where people are walking. that's where the hazards are. but now, I had to do, I had to tell them, no, you put the lights above the workspaces. it's much better. Little things like making sure the, the aisles were wide enough so that a sheet tray walking through the crowd could actually fit and little things And you know, like making right. sure there's speed racks garbage cans space I thought of everything and I'm. And it's really amazing
1: Wow well, one day I will get my tour of that kitchen <laughs> and we're going to take a quick break here we're going to come back so stay with us this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network
0: following program was brought to you by s wallace edwards and sons edwards suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color the edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of berkshire pork Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com.
1: Hi, welcome back to Only Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jansen Chan from ICC. And uh, we're talking pastry culinary schools. We're going to talk culinary school now All a right. little bit. So your last restaurant job, you're at Oceana, and then you decided to go to teach or not to, not only really to teach but to be the director of
2: the, the pastry department. Yeah, got it. <laughs> you know it's 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 a tough thing. Once what, what does the pastry chef do once they've had a successful run as a pastry chef? Um, there's several options. You kind of hit the glass ceiling within the restaurant because the executive chef is ultimately the executive chef. Um, so either you open your own business, or you know, th- or some facet of that. Um, so I was given the opportunity to to go to the International Culinary Center. They uh, approached me, and um, it just worked out really well. It was exactly what I was looking for without knowing I was looking for it mm-hmm. uh, because you know I'm very analytical of the work I do. And um, I wanted to have a bigger voice in the pastry industry. I mean, it's great that you can create desserts uh, for a customer to experience, but I wanted something more, something bigger. I had a huge knowledge base now of pastries, and I wanted to utilize that in some fashion. And going to the school was a way for me to continue that and foster more knowledge, but also to communicate my experiences uh, in a much much larger scale, um, I never considered working for a culinary school until I even until the moment came when the position was open. Actually, um, so I was very fortunate, and the timing was just right. I felt like I had accomplished a lot at Oceana, and it was time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. And so it was a perfect landing spot.
1: Well, so what does your role? involved then? What? What's a day in the life?
2: Well, the International Culinary Center is a big school. It's, yeah. it's okay. right in Soho. It's five floors. We've been around for our 30th anniversary this year. Uh, we've had a huge array of, al- of alumni come out from our doors, as well as great chef instructors. Um, we have a huge history. We're a really big part of the New York City culinary.
1: Um, yeah, and it changed from FCI, correct. French Culinary Institute, to the International because
2: you grew. Yeah, we kept expanding. Yeah. We originally, we were all French, and then we added the Italian program, and then we added the Spanish program. Um, I mean, less heard, we added a cake program and a bread program, So, and the cake program is more of American-style cakes. So we really were beyond the French Culinary Institute, and, I, and Dorothy had to go and you know, it was a good move to change the name, because mm-hmm. we're a bigger umbrella, and we it wasn't true to what we were anymore. So we've evolved. Um, so, you know, bringing that... Bringing me on, being the director of pastry, it's kind of, it's a, it's a big job. But it's, it's, it's <laughs> Sounds like a big job. It's a big job in the sense that, um, you know, the, there's two big programs in the school, the career pastry path and the career culinary path. Um, and I represent basically the, the pastry side. And so there's the big pastry programs and all the programs that fall underneath that which, you know, I mentioned the cake program, the bread program, and then all the what we call non-career programs. You know, we have a tech, technique class, we have rec classes, um, we have specialty classes in specific areas. For example, uh, uh, a mandolin class or a, 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 a pat-to-shoe class. And those are all these classes. That everything falls underneath kind of my umbrella, um, as well as a huge team of chef instructors. And uh, we have... And then the curriculum. That's kind of where... My biggest tackle has been since I've been there, is working on the curriculum. It's six hundred hours for the career pastry program, and it, it, to, it needed a little updating. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was one of my first tasks is to what, to re-examine it and to start making changes. The trickiest part about all this is that the school never shuts down. We're constantly open in terms of we always have we have rolling enrollment. So classes start every two months in pastry, every month in culinary. So we're, changes come, but we need to implement them while, keep, while having students in the building, as well as training our staff. And we also write all our textbooks in-house. So wow. it's a huge uh, collaboration <laughs> on my side mm-hmm. with my team, working with the chef instructors, my coordinators, as well as uh, the education department uh, to make everything kind of seamless on the front end. Uh, for the student experience. So any changes that have come in the program, uh, a class before you might have a different program, uh, but we make it all seamless so the student experience wouldn't be would be unknown. And you know they, we, we, we can tell what class level you're on and what class you're in and the differences. And we make it all work out. Um, the, pr- the changes are taking are so big that we've done one huge round. Um, and then we have another huge round that's supposed to start in January 2015 so these have been my, my two big projects since I've started on board um, exactly. getting these changes because uh, it's it's a big process and also I um you know obviously uh, one of our deans is Jack Torres. and I meet with him Fabulous. right now. Yeah, I know, it's, it's Torres. a horrible <laughs> it's a horrible thing to do I mean I, <laughs> Tuesday morning I, I spent my morning with him um, at his chocolate shop
1: and you have chocolate chip cookies <laughs> his chocolate chip cookie is my favorite
2: it's very very good um i, I love jock torres and he's he's great and he's he has so much passion and love it's 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 yeah contagious it, yeah, yeah and it is. so um you know that's one of my one of my f- f- fun responsibilities is to work with him um to keep him updated with the programs the school And keep him uh, involved with all the changes that are coming ahead for the program, and it's great. Um, And he's very receptive to change, and that's that's another great thing. You know, he's not like we have to do the classics, we have to do this, we have to. No, he's open to everything, and he gives me input, gives me ideas and feedback, and it's it's a great collaborative experience. Um, Not even just with him, also our other dean Emily Luchetti, and also just everyone on staff. It's. You know, again, it's I've great, become great. the architect a little bit. I've, mm-hmm. I have a vision for this program, and I need to pull in all the sides and coordinate all these different parts to to, to make it move forward and to implement it. Um, so it's it's great, and right. and, and it, it kind of captures all my knowledge base. That's what's kind of exciting for me. That's
1: why it's working for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 terrific. So let, last week I had on lee schrager and adina Sussman, and they are the co-authors of fried and true cookbook and i asked them to ask you a question they both asked questions so okay. the first one was from lee and he wanted to know buttercream or fondant
2: as a classically french trained person i have to say buttercream and it's definitely have to be a uh, french style buttercream because american buttercream is a powdered sugar and butter or shortening whipped confection which isn't doesn't really yeah. melt in your mouth.
1: Get technical um, with us,
2: please. <laughs> I can get very technical, <laughs> but you know fondant is something that I have learned to to work with more now that I've worked for the school um, because we have a cake program and students do have to learn how to work with fondant, and it's an it's an incredible medium uh, because it's it's like an edible play doh. It can be so much, and it's still it's still tasty. It's still sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, if I if I for a cake, the fondant is there more for show than taste. Certainly, I would eat it if it's on a cake. But a classic buttercream, you can't go too wrong. So I'm voting buttercream.
1: Okay. Okay. I, I hear you. And the second question was from Adina. And she, she asked, how has the gluten-free and low-sugar trend impacted the pastry world? And are you making any accommodations for it?
2: It's like a perfect segue to the changes I made in the program. Uh-huh. Uh, we've actually added that. Uh, what we've added a, a bunch of topics at the end of the program called restaurant modules. It's um, we. The program now ends with learning about restaurant desserts. For me, it was about uh, that got it used to be earlier in the program, and I moved to the very end of the program because for me the idea is a restaurant dessert is kind of taking all the techniques and knowledge you've learned throughout the program, and then you're starting to apply it in a very much individual sense. And there's a lot of complexity and mastery of you know learning how to mix-match textures or flavors or contrast temperatures. And so it was put towards the end. Um, I also thought this is the chance for things for higher learning, um, where you need to start developing your palette, uh, thinking more outside the box, because the first majority of the program is really... You know, learn how to make this and copy this, make this and copy this. And towards the end, you should start thinking, you know, this is when we introduce seasonality, the topics Mm -hmm. of that. So we've added uh, pastry for specialized diets. um, And that includes gluten-free, vegan desserts, dairy-free, and sugar alternatives. Uh, We don't do sugar-free because that usually incorporates some sort of artificial sugars. And that's where I kind of draw the line. But the idea was that you've learned a lot of techniques, so now it's your time to learn the vocabulary where you can use those same techniques and create desserts or pastries for people who have specialized diets. So we incorporated that. We also incorporated wine, and, wine cheese, coffee, tea, which actually was recommended by one of our PAC committee members. We have an advisory committee member because um, he opened the bakery and he suggested, he's like, I wish I knew more about coffee and tea. I was like, I opened the bakery, I knew nothing about it. And it made sense. I was like... Yeah, why don't pastry chefs know more about coffee yeah, or tea? Yeah, no, And so we added a whole sec- a section where you learn uh, you spend half a day with coffee and then you spend half a day with tea and you taste and learn about the, the process of making tea and, and coffee being the cup and then you do some tastings. Same with the wines. It's, it's about dessert wines and fortified wines and spirits. These are all things that pastry chefs either use or pair with but we should have a be- better understanding, um, a higher learning of these products to make us More sophisticated with our palates and just with general knowledge of food. So these are all things that we've actually added already, and it's already in the program, and it's been really, really, really well received.
1: Wow, I think that's terrific. Okay, great. We're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do my speed round in industry news. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network.
0: before And I I just want to testify That you Yeah, you made me feel so good inside
1: Okay, we're back. This is all in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is, Jans- is Jansen Chan. It's time for my speed round. Are you ready? Uh, what it is is I'm gonna I'm gonna name two things, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. And you just pick pick one.
2: I like do your I need, preference. Do I need to give an answer or just I mean a reason or?
1: Most people seem to start to talk, give a reason when I get to some, but it's really meant okay. to be more of a speed round. But okay. but feel. Interpret it however however you want. Alright. I'm ready. So I would do want to know chocolate or vanilla. <laughs> oh I'm sorry, no. <laughs> no, no, no. That normally I don't, but for you <laughs> I wanna know. Vanilla. Okay. Very cool. I'm chocolate. All right. All right. Here we go. Eat in or eat out. Out. Wine, beer, or cocktail. Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte. Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Large plates you're doing great tipping or all inclusive charge
2: i mean i lived in europe i would, it would be much easier in my life to be all inclusive
1: ah awesome everyone else has gone for tipping i'm glad i got one going the other
2: way okay and i've never been a server in my life but i still think all inclusive i think because service is so important and yeah A main, it's an integral part of your experience so I feel bad I, mean, I can't imagine someone short I've never shorted anyone less than 15% in my life I can't imagine doing it right. and the fact that you can it just seems like a weird option
1: alright I hear you cool how about communal table or
2: chef's counter <laughs> Table, <vote> neither. <laughs> sure sure I mean chef's counter I guess I'm not a big fan of sharing a table with people I don't really know I go to eat to talk to someone and to experience them not necessarily my strangers and you know, it's nice, I guess, occasionally, but it's not my thing.
1: Got it. How about baking or pastry? Can you pastry. even choose? Oh, oh yeah, you they're can. different. All right. Oceana location one, Oceana location two.
2: Oh, location two. Only because I had input in that design.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How about teaching or cooking in a restaurant? Can you?
2: Ooh, that's tough. That's, to me, totally two different experiences. It's, it's the rewards are bigger with teaching mm-hmm. and the rewards are totally, I mean, the rewards are big with cooking too. It's just very different. I feel like the impact with teaching will be long lasting. You know, I think people will forget eating at Oceana with my desserts. I'd,
1: I remember your desserts from Oceana. <laughs> I mean, don't ask me the names, but I remember I love them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Okay. Two more. All right. Cheese plate or dessert?
2: Oh, dessert. Well, I mean, I love cheese plate, too. Don't get me wrong, but dessert.
1: Manhattan or Brooklyn?
2: I live in Manhattan. So
1: Manhattan. (laughs) Awesome. That's the game. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Okay, so let's talk some industry news. So today in the New York Times, Narcissa was reviewed by Pete Wells, and it got two stars. And I did... A solo dining experience at Narcissa and I loved it and so I was happy to see it was a nice review he really liked the vegetables and he liked the desserts yeah uh, so what would you think have you been there
2: I have not been there I've been to Dovetail a few times uh, the pastry chef is Deborah Rakiot uh, from Gotham Bar and Grill
1: thank she's you for a- pronouncing her name for me <laughs> <laughs> I she's was gr- scared to say it
2: uh, she's great she's a uh, she's a great pastry chef she's been around in the New York uh, pastry scene for many many years so it's really great to see recognition to another pastry chef. I, I actually am guilty of always reading the New York Times and scrolling down to look at dessert first and to see what they say or name. And I also want to know if they name the pastry chef because I and I, I want to see recognition for other pastry chefs because you know it only fields f- fuels my you know industry. So I think it's cool you do that. And then I go back and read the whole thing, and it's funny. I do do that. I just want yeah. to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I think I'm, I'm always excited for someone to get their name mentioned. I remember seeing my name mentioned for the first time. And Frank Bruni wrote about me. And I was like, oh, my God. It's pretty amazing to get it, it, a review um, and to your name.
1: Yeah. No, and especially in the New York Times. And, and they don't always mention the pastry chefs. They don't. Um, they
2: generally only mention the pastry chef when they like the pastries, to be quite honest. I mean, it would be <laughs> kind of that, mean. That's good. It would be mean to be like, oh, so-and-so made a dessert and it was awful. Right. I mean, it has happened, but it's very rare. They usually are. They try to say a little bit more positive, uh, which I think that's great because yes. writing should be somewhat positive and not all yeah critical.
1: It was a very positive review, and I'm happy for John Fraser. Yes. And then I w- last week, the New York Times reviewed River Cafe, and they also they gave it two stars. Pete Wells, and. um I've never been to River Cafe. Have you been there?
2: No. And it's one of those classic New York institutions. I know. Which I'm really glad it reopened, I think. Yeah.
1: Well, it shut down after Sandy. Sandy, Mm -hmm. And it took, um, I guess, a year and a half to, or about a year to restore it. And from the review, they said it's pretty much the the way it was. It's a 36-year-old restaurant. And um, it's a really special occasion place, a beautiful view back of the city. I would like to go one day. um, So...
2: It is very nice. I mean, supposedly, and the pictures mm-hmm. look great, and it has a view of Manhattan.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I'm glad that certain institutions have remained because I think that's really important, uh, especially for being in New York. You know, to have all the diversity of restaurants and the styles of restaurants, and it just means yeah. a lot more. I mean, I'm even happy that Tavern and the Green is back.
1: Yeah. True. Um, it's it is great that it's back, and and it's I think from from I haven't been there yet but what I've read I think it's 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 a very fresh new approach versus I think River Cafe is more traditional in w- what it was and holding that. I think tradition. Tavern on the
2: Green it connects more with the park users whereas, you know, mm-hmm. uh, River Cafe is it's still the destination because of its view and I think it should be that way because of its view. I mean Tavern on the Green you just feel like you're in the park and it you don't necessarily dress up and go to the park.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Good. Yeah. Right.
1: No. Good point. Okay, and the last thing I wanted to bring up was on Eater, um, they were talking about this opening of Morgan Stern's Finest Ice Cream, and this is Nick Morganstern, who previously worked at Gramercy Tavern in Danielle, and um, he's opened this, they kind of said it was kind of kooky ice cream shop, uh, very interesting flavors like Fernet, black walnut and Brazilian bourbon, and I don't know, it sounds, uh, the menu, it... It made me hungry. I want to check it out. Are you familiar with him?
2: Um, I don't know Nick very well. I've know of him because he also has been a pastry chef for many years in the New York scene. I think he was at the General Green for a long time here in Brooklyn. He opened that place. Um, you know, ice cream mm-hmm. seems to be the big fad of the last three, four years. That's been ice cream. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's never really gone away. Everyone loves ice cream. I think there's a lot. Uh, there's a very fresh look at ice cream and all the toppings and the flavor combinations and. That's really exciting for pastry chefs because we, it's a new uh, place. It's a place where they can experiment. Um, you know, people are no longer just expecting strawberry vanilla chocolate. They want to see balsamic strawberry with you know salty chocolate. You know, they want to see all those interesting combinations, and it's really exciting that these ice cream parlors are opening up uh, because uh, people's palates will expand and expectations are higher. And then usually, as, as New York always is, is, it's culinary capital. These things then get reproduced all across the country because the press will pick up on it and people will try it and talk about it. And it's, it's, it's all great for anybody in the industry in general because we're always looking for new ideas and new things. And, you know, I think it's great. I think it was an interesting thing. I think, um, I think it was in the article about how he was talking about his Philadelphia-style ice cream. And I think ice cream is one of the mis- most misunderstood things because everyone thinks ice cream is just ice cream. But there really is big differences between the custard-based ice creams, the non-dairy ice creams, which are really sorbets, uh, versus dairy ice creams that don't have eggs. There's all these categories, and everyone just thinks it's just ice cream.
1: <laughs> well, it's true, but you're right. There's been a lot of – there's been a trend for all these high-end, cool – Ice cream places. Actually, one of my friends opened a place called Luca and Bosco, which is down at Essex Street Market, and uh, she she has things like fudge whiskey and I don't know, like very innovative flavors. And you're seeing a lot of these a lot of these places. And now we're going into summer, and tis the season.
2: It's so. perfect timing.
1: Awesome. All right, we're going to take one more break, and we're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, now I've previously mentioned on this show that I not not only dine solo, but I travel solo. So, I did travel solo this past weekend. I took a quick, very much relaxing, needed trip to Bermuda for the weekend by myself, and uh, it was awesome. And. So I obviously dined solo. Um, I had a lot of great fish, a lot of local fish. They had I had wahoo at Wahoo's, and I had rockfish tacos at the Pickled Onion. And actually, I took a photo of my taco, and it got picked up on Infatuation's Instagram Eats Sea Edition as their best photos of the weekend. So I was thrilled, and that's Eats with five E's. In case anyone wants to check that out. Um, And all that was awesome, but I really want to give a shout out to this place I discovered in Hamilton, which is called Juice and Beans Cafe. And what I loved was I had an amazing green smoothie there. It was so good, I went back the next day and I had another one. I had a different kind. Um, I had the green balance, and then I had the veggie patch. And both of them had kale and spinach and lots of good things in it for you. Um, They were sweetened either with some, some sort of fruit, banana or pineapple, mango, it was awesome. So I mean it's a pricey drink. It's like it was like ten or eleven dollars. Um but I loved it. So Bermuda was awesome. And I would say go there for the pink sand, the crystal clear water, and the green smoothies. That's my solo experience. Yes, I'm I'm the crazy the girl that goes to Bermuda for the weekend by herself. Okay, that sounds <laughs> awesome. Well, it was it was. And it's such an easy flight. It's two hours away, so it's um it's a nice escape from new york anyone anyone looking looking for a beach getaway okay so we're getting to the end of the show so now jansen i want to see if you can ask a question for my guest next week and it is jono pandolfi and he's a ceramics designer he does the dinnerware at amazing restaurants such as 11 madison park the nomad a terra wd50 I, I can't wait to talk to him because I think it's um, it's so cool that he he does this dinnerware um, at these restaurants. So can you ask him a question?
2: First of all, his plates are amazing. I've been a nomad several times and the plates are always remarkable um, from one profession. From, actually, we're both professionals that both use turntables. So I can't think of another, I guess, a DJ. Right, there's very few professions that use a turntable. We use it for cakes. He uses it for pottery wheel.
1: Ah, um, but, so you're you know, bonded.
2: We're bonded over that. <laughs> so my question will be something along that line because pastry chefs are, we love our tools. We love our baby spatulas. We love our tips. We love lots of tools. I just want to know what's his favorite or most essential tool that he, he loves to use.
1: Okay, good question. I will ask him. All right. So thank you so much for coming out here. No, it was
2: great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed talking with you. We could talk some more and hear more about that Philadelphia ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll have to do an ice cream an ice cream show. We could j- oh, just talk ice cream. Could,
2: easy. <laughs> easy. That could be at least an hour. Just an yeah. ice cream and then another <laughs> one for sorbet.
1: Very cool. And... Um, I want to, to give a shout-out also to the International Culinary Center, which is a sponsor of Heritage Radio Network, and your founder, CEO, Dorothy Keane hamilton has a show called Chef's Story, which I love that people should check out. So my guest today has been Jansen Chan. He's the director of pastry at the International Culinary Center. You can find him on Twitter at Jan B. Chan, and um, the school is at ICCEDU. And their website is international culinary You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at all industry at Sherry Bayer and at Bayer PR. My website's Bayer relations.com. If you miss this live broadcast, you can always find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes and Stitcher has this cool feature called listen later that you should check out. Um, Cause it's great. You can listen later as, as the name implies. So thanks to my engineer, Jack, and everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I will be back next week with another live one. So please tune in then. This has been All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. And have a good one. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network.